0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: While well, we just saying about how our soul is satisfied in you alone, And we said that and now I want to ask for that. Would you cause our souls to be satisfied in you alone and would you use this passage before us this morning towards that end? Would you show us something sweet, something good in you for us? A topic that we consider one of, in the end we'll see one of us at work. I pray that that topic would show us something of your, your kindness and of your wisdom and of your grace and of your power. Show us things that, that aren't even intended to be, aren't even said, aren't even intended to be shown, but just just occur to us. Would you speak? Show us yourself. Speak to each individual person here. I, I'll say some words and would you then, would you beyond them and, and in them speak to people? Shine light on Jesus and his beauty. Encourage us and satisfy our souls in him. Build your church and honor Jesus, we pray. It's in his name we ask this. Amen. Do you ever find yourself feeling like your job owns you? Maybe not literally, of course, but sometimes it can feel like that. Sometimes it feels even like the boss is a taskmaster, we might say. Or that I, we, our whole department, we're just the slave labor. Just brought in and used up and spit out like cogs in a machine. Until, that is, we get fed up and we revolt. That kind of language, revolt, Slave labor, the taskmaster, owned. that's, That's the language that we sometimes use to describe our jobs, our workplaces, and that's the language of slavery because sometimes they feel kind of alike. Never felt that way for you. If it does, when it does, how do you respond? Well, sometimes we respond with... If it's really hard, we, we do rebel and we become insubordinate. And at other times when it's less so, we just kind of become kind of low-grade resentful, frustrated, maybe uncooperative, maybe disappointed and fearful. Because you kind of know, this, I spend a whole bunch of time here in this environment and my life is just running through my fingers, taken from me and used up by somebody else for their agenda, and I can't do anything about that. Well, today 's passage is going to speak to that situation, Colossians chapter three. God speaks to help us in such environments and in other types of work situations too that aren 't nearly so bad. I, I describe that one as, as kind of a, of a bad environment i 've never actually been in a work environment that bad, a lot of us haven 't but whether it's a, a very bad environment or, or frankly a pretty good one where the, the situation is nice and, and the boss is great. Across the whole spectrum, the passage today speaks to us including, importantly, including the hardest ones, the hardest work environments. And we know that because the passage before us today is literally about literal slaves and literal masters. That's our setting in Colossians we look at this third pair of relationships in the typical ancient household. It's been like a month now since we've been in this passage, but if you can think way back to, to a month ago, we, we saw the first two pairings here. Paul's dealing with the typical ancient household, and we saw him address these typical relationships, giving brief instruction to each, nothing exhaustive, certainly not. Very, very focused, very limited, brief instruction. Particularly to each, each person in this relationship across the issue of authority. So he, he dealt first with husbands and wives and how they deal with the authority that's between them, and, and children and parents, and now this morning, slaves and masters, which right away strikes us as a little odd because slavery is so repugnant to us. It's offensive, it's wrong. So how can the Bible treat slavery so matter-of-factly as to bring it up kind of in parallel with, with parents and kids and husbands and wives? It treats slavery matter-of-factly, just addresses it, and then moves on, never condemning it. How, how can that be? Certainly, it's a big question, and it has certainly been instrumental in, in a number of people rejecting Christianity. How should, how should we think about this? Well, first, we have to recognize the biggest issue. Is we've got to recognize... We've got a different context here. We've got to read this, read slave and master in in an ancient context. Most Americans today, when we hear the words of slavery, we think of racism, we think of Africans in chains, we think of plantations and brutality. That's, that's what comes to mind for most Americans, an environment that is more than just wrong. It is inhumane and wicked and wretched, and good-minded people, when they see it, must be appalled by it and must cry out against it. That's what we're thinking, and so that's what puzzles us when Paul sees slavery and doesn't appear to be aghast at it and doesn't cry out against it. Why not? It's because he's looking at something different than we are in our minds or on our movie screens. It's not my purpose this morning to explore slavery and to explain all the different ways that slavery in the ancient world was different. But generally speaking, it was different. It was very common, it was very diverse. It was diverse across economic strata and it was diverse across racial lines. It wasn't all racial. And any any person of any wealth level and any person of any race could be a slave, and many people were. And it was much less brutal. Now, I'm not trying to say that slavery was good and wonderful. That would be a lie. I'm just saying it was different. And if we were to think about it in depth, if we were to make that our subject, we would see that it was different, and it was different in a number of ways that allowed there to be space and time for Paul and the Bible in general to look at something and to address something that was wrong, but to address it in a way that was slower and worked more like an undermining a constant erosion of the foundation such that the institution would itself crumble. Kind of rot from the inside. When when what Paul is saying, even some of what he's saying in our passage today, when what he's saying in teaching would, would sit, would take root and people would would get it, they would realize this makes no sense. And it would be washed out from beneath. Slavery in that context, it affords a certain bit of time, and it affords the Bible to work like the Bible works. But that's not our focus this morning. This isn't a passage about slavery. This is a passage, as I said, in conjunction with these other passages before it, about how we are to think about authority, authority between people here in this world. And he's talked about Marriage, he's talked about parenting, and now he talks about what probably for us, since we don't exist in a slavery context, probably for us is most parallel by work. So that's, that's the language I'm going to use this morning, language of, of the workplace. But it also bears similarity to other situations, maybe a volunteer situation, or maybe how you relate to the government, maybe, maybe how you relate to a classroom setting or a team that you might be on with a coach. Some situation where there is an authority a non-related authority that you are beneath or conversely above. Some of us are in both situations. You're in a work environment where you are both beneath and above. And Paul speaks to both sides of that in, in very narrowly focusing on how do we deal with, how do we respond across that authority interface. So that's what we'll be talking about this morning, and I'll be using the language of work. Maybe you have to modify that for your own situation. Let me read the passage. This is Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 22 through chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to read it and then make two observations that are going to be very unequal in length because the two halves of the passage are unequal in length. 3, verse 22. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Colossians chapter 3. Two observations. Here's the first and the much longer one. Servants must obediently serve the boss. I'm using workplace language. That can be applied more broadly. Servants must obediently serve the boss by keeping their eyes on the true Lord. Servants must obediently serve the boss by keeping their eyes on the true Lord. Verse 22 begins in a similar way to the previous two pairings, 18, 19, and 20, 21. Gives a command to first the subordinate one, which actually was an honoring thing. To address the subordinate one, address the subordinate one There's honor given here. And very much like he said to the children, he says to the slaves, here's the command, obey, which is immediately qualified with the wide open in everything. Servants don't get to pick and choose what they obey or when they obey. It's just obey. Now, of course, qualification is coming soon. Has to, be, has to be some qualification. And we're alerted to that right, right in the phrase by how the masters, and that word, literally that word is the same word as Lord. The lords we are to obey are called earthly lords, which should right away, tra- oh yeah, sure, there is a heavenly Lord also, and I bet he's going to figure into this somehow. Indeed, yep. The heavenly Lord is coming up. But initially, there is an earthly Lord, there are earthly masters, and we are to obey them. And that command is then widened further in the second half of verse 22. Not just informal, grumpy behavior obedience, but again, just like the obedience that a parent would expect from a child, it's not good and right if it's not from the heart and sincere Obedience, that is not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, not just for show, not just when someone's watching, not just when the customer is watching, not just in view of the security camera, not just before your your performance review is coming up. Always in everything, even when no one else will ever find out. With sincerity of heart. From in here. Obey earthly masters in everything from in here. Truly and honestly, the disposition of your heart as a servant is one of obedience to the one who is over you. That's how you give them the best service. That's how you show them true love. That in wholeness in desire within you, that you do what you are asked to do, you do what, what you are expected to do. That's what doing good to them looks like. That's the kind of subordinates, the kind of servants that we are to be in our workplaces beneath those, beneath those who are over us. So how do you carry yourself in your workplace? Would your supervisors describe you like that? This person, this guy, this gal, this person who works for me, I, I am, I know his heart is to do whatever I ask of him, to do whatever I, I specifically ask, what I expect, and to do it honestly, with integrity, with full effort, immediately, quickly, and and and, and properly. Would your peers or your coworkers say that's your attitude? When when you're around you know, the coworkers, out of earshot of the boss would they say yeah also this this person this he's he's really he's he's for the boss he's for the owner he's for the company he's united his whole person, her whole person is united in submission and in responsiveness and in a solid attempt to support the directions and the intentions, the goals, the plans to follow, to help, to uphold, to reinforce those in authority over us. Maybe, maybe just doing what you're told, but even more than that, if you, if you think about just beyond doing what you're told, to, to exercise initiative, to think ahead. What would, what would my supervisor, what would my team leader, what would, what would the owners of this company want to have happen? And to exercise initiative and to step out, to anticipate the direction and do good to those who are over you, to move them forward. Or maybe you've got to object in some way, but you do it Wisely and carefully, always looking out for what's good for the person above me, what's good for those over me. I may object, but I'm gonna do it in a wise way, express disagreement so as to warn of problem, so as to do you good and not get you stuck, not get you in trouble. I'm fully on board. I'm fully a part of this team. I give my all to you and to your goals, to your agenda. I support you. I'm not in this for myself. I'm not looking out for me. I'm looking out for you. I'm obedient, submissive, follower, sincere, a hearty servant worker. That's what's commanded of you. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily. And right there is where it turns in a really helpful way. Because as I go on like that, you can kind of hear like, oh my goodness. But it turns in a really helpful way. work heartily as for the Lord the master and not for men and you got to get the feel of this when unfortunately our english to try to make things clear makes some other things unclear it's the same word as i said already it's the same word so you can read this work for your earthly masters fearing the master whatever you do work heartily as for the master and not for men oh Oh sure. He turned that he meant someone else. He shifted there to the master. The Lord. And that's really helpful. That's the Lord in heaven specifically mentioned but also if you catch the allusion in just how verse 23 is is shaped Verse 17, look back at verse 17, the verse that kicks off this whole section. And whatever you do, in word or do or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. The wording is very similar, and if we were reading this all through and not over the course of like six weeks, it would have, it would have clicked for you a little more quickly because you would have just heard it. He wants us this way, mindful of, submissive to, obedient to, following in light of this. This Lord through this Lord. This Lord not or this Lord, through this Lord. Like this, up and down. And he, he shaped this, the very sentence structure and he shaped the, the double use of the word Lord to kind of reinforce that. Yeah, I'm a follower of, yes, I'm a server to this, this Lord and that Lord first. I, I'm obeying this Lord, fearing that one. Okay, this is really helpful. The sentence structure shows it and then he repeats it. The Lord, fearing Him, work heartily for the Lord, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance. You are serving the Lord Christ. And literally, that's actually a simple command there. It's not not a statement, it's a command. Serve the Lord Christ. Finally, at the end, he gets really clear. Obey the earthly master, serve the Lord Christ. repeats this, repeats this, repeats this, giving this this title to Jesus that really kind of underlines things here because he knows that if you listen just to this verse and just, just to how I was laying all that out, a follower, submissive, fully on board, that'll crush you if you don't realize that actually I'm not serving this Lord directly. I'm serving this one. And by serving this one, then this one. This is really important and really helpful. Paul wants us to remember this first and foremost. You stop for a minute and just, and just think about some real-life work situation. Some situation where the boss or the company policy or whatever, if it's, if it's personal from an individual or if it's just something that you receive a memo on your computer, and you bump into that and say, ah. I I read, I totally understand, I, I get the English, obey and everything, but then this memo comes along, or this moron walks into my office, does Paul have any idea who I work for? Well, no, he doesn't. Do you have any idea who you work for? Paul knows who you actually work for, do you? oh my goodness, my, my employer is such a taskmaster and the hours are so demanding and the work never ends and when I accomplish something, he takes the credit for it so that he looks good and they don't pay me squat and they keep demanding more hours and more weekend hours. And, and they're not remotely looking out for me. So if I don't look out for me, you're telling me that I'm supposed to look out for, for them and for this other one I'm supposed to follow and, and submit to and obey and work heartily for. i got to look out for me. Nobody else is. Nobody else is here at work. Really. Your boss is looking out for you at work. Not that one, the other one. God, through Paul, recognizes the challenge. And notice, he's really alert to this. And you can even just look at, this, at the section, even like the amount of, of space taken up. The pairing of 18 19 is real quick. Two verses, simple command, simple command. The pairing of 20 21, real quick, two verses, simple command. And then when he comes to 22, It's long because he knows this is going to be hard, and I need to actually say something and underline it and reinforce it. I know you will be at work, and remember, he's talking to about the worst possible of work situations, literal slave, literal owned person. So it certainly applies where it's not that hard, not quite that hard. I know this is going to be hard I need to underline and reinforce and make something really clear you have a master and you work for that earthly one and you have another master and you're actually working for him and ultimately what this one thinks and how this one treats you is not what determines you and your life this one is oh set your eyes on things above So he says in verse 22, beginning beginning there, Obey with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. We work with him, minds set on the Lord. Him we fear, him we work heartily for, him we serve. Not humans, not, not your earthly boss, not the owner of the business, not even the customer. You're serving Christ. Here's one you think about Christ and this is the one who was enthroned on high as the Lord and he became the perfect servant he has some very accurate idea of what it was like to be submitted to people who were not good and what it was like to to bear from those over him in authority abuse Physical abuse, including even punishment and death, all unjustly delivered. He has a real good idea what that was like. And he embraced all of that for you When you stand in a position, I I hear what it says, I I, I read, obey and everything, and I know I'm supposed to be towards this boss, but I'm not, and I'm really angry and really resentful, and you find this, and you hear me elaborate on it, and and run on with it, and you feel like, oh, some weight from that. Here's the one who came to relieve you of that weight, and then to empower you to bear up under it. By pointing out to you Up and then down. Me before them. Look to me. You serve me. You work hardly for me. You fear me. You honor me. You serve me. And then from me you receive. Back to you. You receive what you need. You receive reward and you receive justice. Maybe never from these ones, but from that one. Verses 24 and 25 are about. Look to him for his assessment and for his approval and for his reward and his justice, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Again, part of the problem with with how we preach through the Bible is that the beginning part of chapter 3 was a long time ago. What has he been talking about through all of this chapter? Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated and Christ who is your life. From there, he's going to come. He's going to grab you and he's going to take you to a kingdom. That is your reward. They may never honor you at work and they may never compensate you properly, but your real supervisor certainly will. He will give you what you need for life and so you don't have to worry about not getting it and you don't have to strive to get it yourself. You don't have to look out for you at work. He's looking out for you. And it's promised, I give you the inheritance as your reward. I take care of you. I will provide for you. I will bless you and I'll take care of them if need be. The wrongdoer doesn't get away with wrong. There is no partiality. We often sit in, in our office and we read the memo that comes across the, that's totally wrong. Or if you're in another situation with authority, you, you see something coming from the government, or you see something coming from a coach or a teacher, that's totally wrong, it's unjust, it doesn't take into account this and that. Okay. With eyes set on the real boss, know that he sees what's right and he'll sort it all out. And trust yourself to him who judges justly. There's no partiality. Not for you and not for the other. Not for the supervisor, not for the worker. He does what's right. And that's good. That frees us then up, frees us then to actually give away life. To give away life to those whom we were ordered to serve. In a real way, they do own us. At work, we've entered into a social contract where we're renting ourselves out for a time period, right? From nine to five, they own my body. They own my mind. They own my work ethic. I am owned in a way. And I'm told then to happily from the heart in a sincere way give away what I owe. And I can. I can. You can. If your eyes are on the real boss, the true Lord, he gives you life and he'll give them justice if need be. So set your mind on things above Christian where Christ your master is and serve him. Now, obviously, what that's going to mean is there may be some situations where your boss tells you to do something that you can't do. Looking at Christ, you can't do it, it's wrong. Now I'm talking carefully here, I'm talking about when the boss tells you to do something that would be sin for you to do, not something that one layer away provides opportunity for somebody else to do something. I mean, think about this. If if my job is I go to people's houses and I hook up their internet, I'm not responsible for what they do with their internet. So I can't say, I think this person's going to do something bad with the internet, I'm not doing it for you. Hooking up the internet is fine. The job job requires that of you, that's fine. You're not responsible for what people do with it. But obviously, you are responsible to not disobey the boss, the high boss, the true Lord. You serve him first. It gets pretty clear. But what's maybe a little more Frustrating. And here, I'm, I'm going to reference something that Bryant mentioned earlier. It's on the back of the bulletin. The Work in Faith Forum. The the every other Wednesday. I think it's beginning next Wednesday. See Pastor Jed about that to be sure of the details. I'm not quite sure. There can be another question. Okay, so I, I'm serving. I'm serving this this boss here, and then I'm. I'm receiving that, so I'm, I'm okay, I, my heart's okay, but I do kind of wonder, I travel around all day and I hook up the internet. I mean, how is that eternally significant? Why would, that's hard for me to, to get my mind around, that being worth it. Well, some of the material discussed in the Work in Faith form, and some of the material discussed in the book that, that this group will be reading, the Every Good Endeavor, Some of the material discussed in our previous life training classes can kind of help flesh that out and help us understand why would God, why would, if I'm serving him, why would he want me to then go and obey and serve my boss when he tells me to travel over to that place and hook up the internet? Why, Why? There's a lot of questions there and a lot of answers that I can't touch on, but one important concept to keep straight. God sends us into work. Because God is at work in the world through us and our jobs and our companies. In, sometimes in ways that are easy to see and sometimes in ways that are harder to see. But in our work, if it is a good endeavor, in our work, God is at work to bless the world. And that's, that's what he's doing through us. That's why he sends us into workplaces and tells us to be cooperative and supportive and wholehearted good workers because ultimately we aren't just serving the company's bottom line. I'm not just making a buck for CenturyLink. I'm serving the Lord in his desire to bless the earth. I serve the Lord and that tells me he's got my back He'll he'll provide for me and protect me. He'll give me justice. I serve the Lord and that tells me I I must not sin myself. And I serve the Lord and that tells me, oh, my work is meaningful. It has His meaning. He's pushing His grace into the world through me. Oh, through my company. Through what we do. Oh, good. I, I don't know how you can actually continue to go to work day after day after day if you miss this point completely. I don't know how you can actually give your life away for somebody else's purposes in obedience to somebody else's agenda if you don't realize that actually, as I serve them, I'm serving him first for his purposes, under his protective hand, giving me the inheritance in the end and giving me justice in the end. Maybe you can do it for, for other idolatrous reasons, a desire to advance your own name, a desire to make, to make security for yourself. I, I don't know. But it seems to me that it's necessary that we understand I am to obediently serve the company I'm in, the people who are over me, and I do that by setting my eyes on things above, on the true Lord. Ultimately, I'm his servant. He wants us to see that clearly and spends a lot of verses talking about that. And then he spends one verse talking to masters. We'll consider that next. It's very brief. Second observation, bosses must treat their servants justly because that's what the true Lord wants. Bosses must treat their servants justly because that's what the true Lord wants. So chapter 4, verse 1 turns to address masters explicitly. But that being said, you'd have to be a, a pretty dense Christian sitting in the church, listening to this, you're, you're a master. You're, you're someone who has a, a supervisor. You actually own slaves, and you sit there, and it, you have to be pretty dense to miss something. In 1819, the husband knows he's not a wife, and in 2021, the parent knows he or she is not a child. But in the last pairing, the third pairing, the master, while knowing. I'm not a slave, but actually, yes, I am. That language is used to describe me all the time. In fact, in this very book, in chapter 1, Paul called Epaphras, the guy who founded the church that we're sitting in, a fellow bondservant, depending on your translation, it might say bondservant, it might say servant, The, the word is the same word, slave. A fellow slave along with me. So Paul just called himself a slave called Epiphros, our church founder, a slave. The New Testament calls me a slave all over the place. So the husband knows he's not a wife. The parent knows she's not a child. The master knows I actually am a slave. And so this whole turn on slaves serving masters and the, the Lord in heaven, that was actually to me too. So in a very real way, all that I just said is also the second point. Just like the slave was told to obey me and everything, and whatever he does to work heartily, well, that's how I'm a slave to the master. I'm supposed to obey the master and everything, and work heartily to the master and fear the master. That's that's me too. To whatever I do, do it all in the name of the Lord. So a Christian who's a boss, if you're a boss or an authority of some sort or another, if you're an owner of a company, if you're a supervisor, you're a teacher, a Christian who has power over the lives of others, who has been listening to all of this, you should realize that all applies to me. And that all tells me I also am serving this one as then I turn to rule over these other ones. I also have to go up first before I go down. So, what would my master have me do in my situation where I am in authority? And then verse 1 comes along. Treat those under you justly and fairly. Rule in righteousness and justice, like the true Lord does. Which means what for us? Well, the details vary, of course. But one easy place to start would be to ask: If the shoe were on the other foot, how would you want to be treated? Then you can look at the the policies and the procedures and the schedules and the compensation and the rates and the giving of credit and the assigning of tasks and the workplace atmosphere, etc. To the degree all that's under your control, is it just and fair? Does it reflect and respect human dignity? Does it fairly share the fruit of the company's labors and also the hardships? Or do some get one and some get the other? Does what you do come from and show love to those beneath you? Does it show what Christ is like, how Christ is generous and just and good? The details vary, but I I suspect that we could figure it out, and I'm sure that there are numerous people in this room who could figure it out better than I can because you've done it a lot more in a lot larger settings than I have. But here's, here's the thing, though. We can figure it out if we want to, but do we want to? That's probably the real challenge. because we bump into our hearts, why is it tempting for us to not treat those beneath us justly and fairly? It's not because we didn't know we shouldn't. I think probably the most common reason is, is simply this, that we're easily tempted to use others to build a life for ourselves And I'm in a situation now where I've got the power to do that. And so I'm going to. I'm tempted to use those that I can to build a life for myself. We all operate that way. And here I am in a situation where I officially have that power. How tempting. To use those beneath me, use those I have authority over to build a life for myself. That life can look a lot of different ways. It It can be just the power rush of being able to tell people what to do. can be the the actual ability to use them and to use up their lives to to build my reputation, to, to build the profitability of my department, to, to increase the income, to if I'm if I'm the owner, to, to just to enrich myself, to just basically take their lives and squeeze them for my own profit. Because I believe that I will squeeze out of them my reward. And I forget that the wrong done by the wrongdoer is paid back and there's no partiality. He put me in this position, but he does not give respect to me because I'm in this position. I'm still his slave. There's much temptation to incline our hearts there and no amount of don't do it will actually suffice when the temptation becomes big enough and we see I could squeeze a whole bunch out of this and I could really give myself much. The, the, the don't do it doesn't work. What does do it? Not don't do it. What does do it? These verses, the same ones that have already been said, to set your eyes on things above, there is one who has who has come? Who has come to give you life? So you don't need to find it from your workplace and from your business and from your your workers, your subordinates. You find it from Him. The inheritance of Christ is your life, and resting in that—that's what gives us actually internal change to enable us to actually love and bless and serve those who are beneath us. Servant leadership. It's a Christian idea. The world talks about it. It's a Christian idea because it came from Christ, the leader who became a servant. And seeing ourselves, though we are earthly lords, seeing ourselves beneath that Lord, realizing that what he calls me to do is walk as a servant and walk as a leader like him, trusting that he gives me reward, And he gives justice. So set your mind on Christ and Lord over those beneath you like he would in love for their good, giving away life to bless. That's what authority's for. God knows that work is important to us. We spend a lot of time at work or in other situations where, those, where people have authority over us. And to know how to walk and to live in that authority is, is important he deals with here for us. And what he, what he puts in front of us constantly is this. We have to, the only way we can do this well is if we first set our eyes on things that are above and then step into our workplaces to serve wholeheartedly, to obey, or to lead in love both like him with eyes set on him. Let me pray. Father, would you help us to be workers and bosses? Some of us are both. To be people who enter into our work environments like like you would. To help us with that, Lord, set our minds on you, on things above, and give us grace to find life in you, please. I think that, I think that you could use us, you could use us as a people in our workplaces. If, if, we could, if we could live there as finding life somewhere else, but being wholeheartedly, for good, engaged. I think you could use us to not just to bless the world, but also to be a witness to you. And so would you change us and make us a people like that? We trust this to you, Lord, and say thank you. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah.